Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth. I'm an intimacy coach and psychologist. I created this show to explore the erotic alphabet, to help you learn more about desire and expressing your desires, discover ways to spice up your relationship and create that sizzling relationship you've always wanted. I do this through solid science, real life stories and interviews with an exciting variety of sex experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create your ideal sexual life. Make sure you join us to access even more sexual strategies on my blog, A to Z of Sex, access our monthly newsletter with subscriber-only offers at www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth, and I am your host. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Just a reminder, this podcast deals with adult content. So if you don't have total privacy, you might want to put on your headphones. Today, the letter is Y, and Y is for Yoni. Yoni is a term that comes from Sanskrit, and it means womb, uterus, vagina, vulva, abode, and my favorite, source. In Hindu philosophy, yoni is the beginning of life. Joining me today to talk all about all things yoni is Michelle Brookhouse. Michelle Brookhouse passionately embraces her mission as a yoni whisperer and soother of all things feminine. As a creator of Yoni Bliss, a homeopathic medicinal, as well as a personal exploration and healing of both the physical and metaphysical vulva slash womb, she fiercely acknowledges the power of the Yoni to direct and defend women's innate creativity and capacity for unbounded pleasure, wisdom, and satisfaction. 20 years as a homeopath and healer, she studies with world-renowned teachers in the fields of homeopathy energy healing, neuro-linguistic programming, and other modalities. She loves honing her skills and is a healer of healers and a mentor of mentors. As a thought leader picked up by Huffington Post, Prevention, The Good Men Project, as well as Thought Catalog, The Vaccine Reaction, and Yahoo Parenting, she is tickled to find herself on the forefront of women's empowerment, helping women remember and find the truth in and the possibility of pleasure, fun, and satisfaction. Yoni Bliss chose her as CEO, which she calls Chief Exhilaration Officer, because she has come to know that enough is enough. Her own Yoni has rooted her in this knowledge, and so she offers not just a product, but classes, retreats, individual sessions, both virtually and in person for women wishing to know this for themselves. Sensual, wise, satisfied, that's her call to you. Michelle lives in the Pacific Northwest and her 23-year-old inspirational son does too, though far enough away so she doesn't bug him too much. She loves Bikram yoga, salsa dancing, and listening to her yoni. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I am so glad to have you. So let's start with um, kind of Maybe not such a straightforward question, but what is yoni to you? Because it's clearly more than just a physical body part. 
And I hope I made that clear in the introduction. So how would you describe how Yoni fits for women? You know, um, I really feel like, I really love that you love that the Yoni is source for women because I feel that way too. And it's only been over my many, many years of working with women and just um, realizing that we operate from our yonis. I mean, we really do. And I just don't know that we always have that consciousness about it. And we have a tendency to ignore um, her voice and it shows up physically sometimes. So those physical manifestations in our body, I believe, is our yoni talking to us i mean because that's where feminine power resides in the yoni because that's where i mean the hormones are everywhere but it's like it can get excited from that place or things can start to move from that place of yoni so what's interesting for me about about that is i remember in doing um i've done a variety of spiritual practices over the years and I remember in doing um, Tai Chi and Qigong and talking about where your center is um, and the um, Chinese master that um, I was learning from at the time was talking about the center being and you know, for men in one place and for women in other. And it was very clear that for him, that center focusing place, your balance point, your grounding point was really in that root chakra. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then actually the root chakra, when people talk about the tailbone, that's very inaccurate because that's not really where it is. That really is, for women, that is yoni and the connection with uterus. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. Totally, I agree. That's our balance point. Um, so I love that you're connecting that with some of those older Chinese traditions and other sort of modalities, too. I mean, the wisdom is there in so many different places. Yeah. And so, I mean, one of the things that I, th I found fascinating is that, that as women, I mean, we certainly not taught enough of our anatomy as we're growing up. And this is like a common theme through some of my podcasts. So people who listen regularly will be used to hearing me say that. But I mean, I don't think when yeah. men are taught enough about their own bodies either. I, I don't feel that sex education is anywhere near adequate. It doesn't even approach adequate. Um, and I find that terribly sad given we're in the 21st century, but uh, certainly as women, there's a kind of taboo about still about looking at our bodies oh, yeah, and examining ourselves. And so no sense of center and so much changes for us hormonally throughout the lifespan that I kind of feel like if you don't have that connection, if you can't find that connection, how is there a way to have balance? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, even in older cultures, there was a celebration of the changing of the hormones, like right from the beginning, from um, Menzies' beginning, you know, for those pre to pubescent girls, there's this celebration around that. And then there's more celebrations have been in the past around pregnancy. And then there's another whole shift into menopause. Um, and I think it's just fascinating. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about that whole menopausal piece because we are living 
longer and we actually have this potential to be these well, I don't I, I I'm trying to sort of wrap my head around this idea of being crone but that crone wise beautiful like powerful woman not the old ratchety um, yeah the, the witch or something you know it's sort of like gnarled up and broken down and it's like no we're not that anymore you know and so it's almost like because we're living longer we're now having that potential as this wise woman because I'm in that place I'm in that wise woman place to maybe bring more passion to our younger generational women and and encourage them to like let's look at our youngies when we're 12 or 13 let's celebrate this again so so that's interesting to me because um because certainly i wrote a book with um a, a woman called sally griffin um it's out of print now but it was 2002 it was my, when my son was born i was writing through the pregnancy uh -huh. it was great and the book was on rites uh -huh. of passage and, yeah. you know, we oh. talked about old rites of passage, but uh, creating new rites of passage. And there's a lot of energy put into that because so many mm -hmm. of our rites of passage are gone. And the things that have come in their place seem less um, transformational. So you get things like my best example is you get kindergarten graduation. Yeah. As a rite of passage. Right. Right. Or graduating from primary school as a rite of passage. But that doesn't actually have a lot of transformational value. That's really just a celebration of an accomplishment to me. It's not a rite of passage. Rather than actually, yeah. you know, we've lost most of our menstruation rights. They're gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. And the wisdom that was passed from generation to generation at the time or boy coming of age rights, you know, many of those are gone. And the wisdom that was passed from generation to generation is gone. Um, so the idea of, of, of that women are in cronehood longer and, and that one of your responsibilities really is to try and educate and mentor people coming along behind you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I totally agree. And I just, I'm going to speak a little bit because I didn't raise any daughters. I raised a son. And um, I was always so appreciative of the fact that he got plugged into um, the YMCA camp in Minnesota when we lived there. And every year, those trips got longer and more sort of intense and just sort of him and the environment. And I could see his level of maturity notching up every year as it was went from a two week trip to a three week trip to a four week trip to a five week trip. And you know, the last in 12th grade, he was like seven weeks up on none in Nunavik, Northern Canada mm -hmm. on a river and you know had food dropped in and it was just sort of like that felt like he at least got that rite of passage i could see it in him whenever he came back um and i don't know that that's necessarily the thing that everybody needs to do and i don't know what it would be for girls but i really 
do believe we don't celebrate that. We don't sort of go, look at you, you're growing up, you know, that well, you're starting to believe this is where your creativity resides, is right here. How can we have you start listening to her? Well, and yeah, that's the thing, though, is that, is that we tell girls around that time what we focus on is the physical issues and the dangers that arise as a result of becoming women. And the focus still mm -hmm. remains. Now, I didn't raise, to be fair, I didn't raise a daughter either. I'm raising a son. I've got a teenage son. Um, but mm -hmm. I, because I do so much work with kids and adolescents, I'm around a lot of this. And, and it's still, the message is still very much... You know, this is dangerous. That is dangerous. This is what you have to do to protect yourself. That's what you have to do to protect yourself. Here are the health things you need to pay attention to. Nobody talks about pleasure, really. Nobody. You know, they don't. They Nobody. don't get messages about. And this is about your pleasure, not about your pleasure with your partner. Let's talk about your pleasure first. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about connecting to your yoni. Let's talk about what. What kinds of pleasure can come from there? And what kinds of creativity that don't just have to do with birthing babies? Absolutely. You know, I just wrote an article about pleasure and shame. And I think more often, rather than celebrating what's going on with young women, we're shaming them yep. for what, you know, for desires, their exploration, their interests. And I think you're right. It's just we talk more about what's dangerous, um, what's not wanted, what you shouldn't do. Um, yeah, I agree. And we still don't we still don't have women look at that part of their body. The number of right. women who have never looked to see yeah. as younger women, as middle aged women or moving to older, because, of course, like all parts of our bodies, it changes. Totally, totally. This reminds me of um, the manager at the Skagit Valley Co-op um, down in Mount Vernon she was telling me this story about this stepmom bringing in her 13-year-old daughter who was clearly having issues, like some kind of yeast infection or something, and she was just like mortified, mortified. She didn't even know where her vagina was. And um, so she had said, why don't you give her a mirror and have her look? And it's sort of like the stepmom is going, yeah, but she's not really my daughter. And I don't know how I should, like, how can I give her this? And it's like, we have a responsibility to give these girls that information and maybe the hand, the hand mirror at that time. Well, and, 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 and also to talk to them about the range of beauty that is there mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's not necessarily going to look like what they see in the pornography that they view or, it, you know, that, that, that we're all different. Yeah. And there isn't a right way or a wrong way to look. Yeah, I think that's huge right now. And I think that's a new up and coming thing to be concerned about because of all of the operations and things yes. that our girls are doing, girls are doing to clean up what they think their yoni should look like. Yes. And there's no should. No, yeah, and there's, there's a lot yeah. of, and I, I have issues with the surgeons, to, to be fair. There's a lot of, um, 
surgeons who are operating with parental permission and the parents on adolescents to create a particular looking vulva. I mean, how obscene is that? To me, that's what's obscene. It's, it's, It's that you would actually do surgery to create something that's already fine. And it's totally obscene. And you don't even know what kind of issues you could be creating along the way because scar tissue may get in the way of pleasure yeah. later on. And and this is a decision you're making when you don't even know what pleasure is. Yeah. Potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so they don't know. I mean, it, I don't know. Do you find that women in general just aren't as clued in as they should be to the changes in their body. Absolutely. I think one of the things, absolutely. As a homeopath over the last 20 years, one of the things that I've realized just generally about people, but I happen, the people I happen to see are mostly women is that they don't listen to their body. They don't actually hear what their body's saying to them. So through the process of, um, having an intake, you know, you know, we talk for two hours and it's like this beautiful thing that it potentially can be this beautiful thing where they're going, Oh, listen to it. I'm listening to what I'm saying to you about what's going, my symptoms. And I always feel like that's the body speaking to you. And so it's about fine tuning and honing in our listening skills. Um, over some time, but not everybody takes the opportunity to do that. Uh, but I think it's a really beautiful thing once we can start to do that for ourselves. And where do you think the problems are the worst? You mean in terms of not being able to listen? Or yeah, and, and the kinds of physical issues that arise as a result of not not being able to pay attention. You know, I feel as women that our hormones run us and we don't have a whole lot of understanding about what those hormones are doing in our body. And so then we end up even shaming ourselves for the feelings that we're having that could be hormone based. And if we actually like listened a little bit more, we might be able to sort of see different patterns and those Emotions, I really do feel, come up for a reason that if we were actually listening to the emotions that maybe are hormone-driven, we could find a lot more happiness and satisfaction in our lives because we'd actually go for the things that would nurture us and support us and give us what we need. But we feel so much shame even about having emotions. I mean, just think about historically... um, the hysterical woman, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're more, we're more comfortable with labeling women than um, actually listening to them. So I don't know how many of my listeners know this, but it's one of my favorite things is that the treatments, the early treatments for hysteria were, was, was orgasm. And, but mm-hmm. it wasn't orgasm that you were allowed to create yourself. And it certainly wasn't orgasm with your partner. You went to the doctor and the doctor gave you an orgasm. And the yeah. reason that vibrators were invented was because their hands got tired. Yeah. <laughs> and that was what it was, you know. So the doctor would manually stimulate the clitoris until the woman had an orgasm. And then she would feel better. Um, because yeah. a lot of hysteria was frustration. 
Mm-hmm. And then, absolutely. You know, then she would feel better and she would, you know, come back every week for this treatment. And nobody, you know, mm-hmm. their husbands didn't get upset about it. No, because nobody saw it as sexual. It wasn't seen as sexual. How orgasm could not be seen as sexual. Women's orgasms were not sexual. And, you know, right. I said that twice because you have to think about that for a second. What is that saying? It is kind of crazy. It's wild, really. Wild, wild. Well, and of course, the um, having an orgasm just sets up more hormones, you know, dopamine, you know, which I call the confidence hormone. It's sort of like a, she gets filled up. She gets, you know, I feel pretty good about myself after an orgasm because that dopamine rush comes in there. And then oxytocin, which just sort of makes her feel mellow and connected. And, you know, so there's a bunch of things that that orgasm produced in her body as well. Um, but you're right. I think it's, it's kind of nuts that it wasn't seen as sexual at that time. Well, we're, women weren't supposed to be sexual. The viewpoint was that women were not sexual, that that was, that was a procreative drive. It was the men who were sexual. We weren't. Yeah. Yeah. We just got hysterical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. And yet. I say that and I, you know, we're talking about Victorian times. We're talking about slightly later than that Edwardian times. And I say that and people will go, oh, my God, how weird is that? How ridiculous is that? And yet still the number one um, piece of sex education women are being given in the United States at the moment is abstinence. Mm. Really? Yeah. Still. 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 So. They're being taught about abstinence. Mm-hmm. They're being taught about the basic functions of how their bodies work, but they're not being taught about pleasure. They're not being taught, mm-hmm. you know, the, all, the, the focus is on saving yourself for marriage, but there isn't anybody there to give the instruction as there was yeah. when we were more uh, in um, smaller community groups. You know, relatives mm-hmm. used to give you the instruction about what to expect. Yeah. So then where do we start? We have to start with us. Yeah. We have to start with like pleasing ourselves and getting the word out to the crones, <laughs> pre, the pre um, menopausal women too. It's like we need to, the reason the women, the reason we're teaching our daughters abstinence is because we still feel shame. Yes. You know, there's a large majority of women who still feel shame about their own pleasure. Um, And once, if we can kind of reach out a little bit more and go, listen, your power comes from your pleasure. Your authority comes from your pleasure. Your voice comes from your pleasure. And then when those younger girls are observing us in our power and in our pleasure and in that I think it even produces happiness, you know, that the pleasure principle brings sort of more joy and light into yep. the world. Then those girls are going, well, I want to be like her. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, the other part of that is, is that teaching abstinence doesn't actually work. So you've got, no, you know, no. you've got <laughs> schools that are teaching abstinence because that's what per- curriculum parents have voted for. You've got parents who are leaving it to the schools to teach because there's so much Mm -hmm. shame 
So much shame. So, and it doesn't work. And kids go to the internet and they learn mm. from indiscriminately from the internet. Um, and there's good mm. stuff out there. There's great stuff out there. And there's also a lot of really horrible stuff out there. So they learn indiscriminately and they take actions mm -hmm. that just are completely unhelpful. And then they have more shame. They ex have bad experiences and they have more shame. They have positive experiences. Yeah. They have more shame. And it's a, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. So I think you're right. I mean, it starts with us and the women older than us. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mindful that um, um, my grandmother, who just passed at the age of mm -hmm. 102, 11 months and nine or 10 days, um, oh, was a woman before her time and was mm -hmm. a sexually active woman. Now she true had shame as well as raised from her generation. But, you know, when we did get to talking about sex, the comments that she would make made it really clear that sex was something that she greatly enjoyed during her active sexual years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that the shame came from the environment around her. And I remember the first yeah. time she talked with me and I was shocked. Because, mm -hmm. you know, as we all are when we find out our parents have had sex and okay, right. But I but listening yeah. to her, it was absolutely fascinating. Now, had we lived in a different time, I wouldn't have been shocked because she would have been one of the people who would have spoken to me when I came of age to tell me. Mm -hmm. what to expect mm -hmm. and how to enjoy right. myself, which of course never happened because yeah. that part of culture is gone, which I find tremendously mm -hmm. sad. There are plenty of people out there who are older and are still sexually active and are still enjoying themselves. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it's an example that has to be shown to younger folks. Absolutely. I agree. I was, um, this just reminds me of a story. This is a couple of years ago. I was having lunch with a group of women, my aunt, who's 10 years older than me. So I was in town visiting her. And so I was with her group of women friends. So they're all about 10 years older than me. So, you know, I am now, I think I was probably going through menopause at the time. They have been completely through menopause. And so, you know, into more of that, that stage, right? And we were talking about Yomi Bliss just because my aunt was there and she was like, oh, look, at you've got to see this product or whatever, you know? And I was fascinated at just the split in this group of women. There was probably 10 or 12 of us, right? Half of them were just like, I don't want to talk about this. That part of my life is over with. I mean, really, and they're married. They're with partners. Partners. And it was like it was over for them and they didn't even want to talk about it because I think now this is me speculating that if they talked about it, they might have to admit to themselves that maybe they don't want it to be over or they might have their own sexual shame or who knows or or, or have to admit that they're not satisfied with their partners. Who knows, you know, what the what the implications of all of that were. But then the other half of them were like super interested and were still active 
and wanting to have some information about pleasure and what could make it easier and 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 you know so um yeah it's fascinating especially as we get older just like almost like the dichotomy like it's okay to want sex in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s as women i mean more and more that's opening up to us more and more it's not opening up yet to teenagers you know that younger you know pre-20 it's like like you said no sex is better which is nuts but once you get into a relationship then there's more expectation about even pleasure like how one should be pleased and please your partner. Okay, that was a whole bunch of things that I just said. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, but you're right. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, although there still is a tendency for women to be schooled that it's pleasing their partner first, that's the issue. Um, and so a lot of the attention still goes on yep. that, but you're right. You sort of get to, yeah. I, I, I end up with an interesting cross-section of folks. I get calls from, late teens about issues. Mm -hmm. I get mm -hmm. some in the, in the twenties, more in the thirties and a chunk in the forties. Mm -hmm. And then we go up and then I get people in the fifties, the sixties, seventies. The oldest client that I had consult me was 80. Mm -hmm. And she That's was great. getting remarried. About that. Yeah. She was getting remarried ah, okay. at 80. Yeah. Yeah, And she, she came to talk to me about sex because she said that um, it was difficult and she didn't want it to be difficult. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we worked on it and she went off on her honeymoon. You know, I mean, it was great. But there's such a split between what people have been told are, are acceptable and, and what they're ashamed of, they're, which desires they're ashamed of, having any desire at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, to the point where mm -hmm. with menopause, we talk about hot flashes. We talk about um, overall losing of tone, of you know, uh, collagen and facial tone and skin tone. And we talk about mood swings. We mm -hmm. do talk a little bit about dryness. What don't mm -hmm. we talk about? We don't talk much about, I mean, it's, it's changing now, but in general, we don't talk much about loss of libido and how to deal with that. And we don't talk about the things, the problems, yoni-based problems that are not necessarily due to dryness, like tissue shrinkage and atrophy yeah. and so pain during sex. We don't talk about that. Nope, we don't. You know, and doctors don't even necessarily yeah. give you that chapter and verse. Mm -hmm. So they do not. It becomes mm -hmm. this really negative surprise for a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Like they yeah. they think it's going to be fine, and suddenly, if they have penetrative sex, they find that it feels like they're being cut inside with razor blades, and they have no idea where this came from. Mm -hmm. You know, and to try and yeah. ex explain, well, you know, there are a load of factors coming into play. Well, what can we do about this? And then mm -hmm. there's a lot of medicalization. Yep. Yes, absolutely. There is a lot of medicalization. And I, and I think 
I mean, this is just an opinion, but I actually think that if we were to shift that to rather than to just talk about the actual the symptoms and and I think it's important to talk about the symptoms that we're not talking about. But if we were to move more inward and actually address um, what's going on in our yonis, like um, a couple of, I'm just going to talk about a couple of the, the remedies that are in yeah. the yoni list because it does speak to some of the emotional components of what's going on for women because the chamomile in it is about irritability and I think we don't even allow ourselves to be irritable and we don't yet you know, we're super sensitive we can be super sensitive and it's like it's not okay it's not okay to be irritable it's not okay to be sensitive and um, if we were actually to go, hey, Yoni, darling, love, my love, what are you feeling irritable about? We might be surprised at some of those answers. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other thing that I think that we hold so much in that Yoni place is grief. Yeah. And that's another thing that's so loaded. We're not allowed to be holding the grief that we hold. And the nature of Muriaticum, where physically, symptom-wise, talks about that water tissue balance, but it's about grief. Well, and and the, the thing about it is, is that you know, at that at the time of transition through menopause, what's happening for many people? Many of us are losing parents, other yeah. relatives. Some yeah. that's when friends, you know, when the, the the number of friends who are dying goes up. Um, and it's not as yeah. unusual. I mean, yes, they're dying very young, but it's not as unusual to see people dying of cancer at that point. So that there's all the grief yeah. from that. Um, there are a lot yeah. of divorces at that point. So there's all the grief from that. For those who had children young, these days, yeah. less people than it used to be. That's the empty nester right. time, After, right? Yeah. So the children yeah. are leaving mm-hmm. home. So there's grief from that. And then there is mm-hmm. the grief from the transition of being able to bear a child to no longer mm-hmm. that part of your life is over. And that grief hits people mm-hmm. who have had children, people who have not had children and wanted them, and even mm-hmm. people who never wanted them. And yeah. they're the ones who are almost hit worse by it because they don't understand it. They very clearly said, yeah. I never wanted a child. As they start to go through menopause, many of them bounce off the walls with mm-hmm. grief and regret, a lot of which is hormone-driven. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're hit, if you've never been at all internal, if you've never really sort of looked inside at some of those emotions, menopause can be a bitch, really. I don't know if yeah. I can say that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's it's terrible it's terrible and we're faced with ourselves and we have the opportunity i always say it's an opportunity to look at what's really going on you know um because a ton of it is emotional it's emotional so much of it i and i'm not going to say that the well i am i was going to say i'm not going to say the emotions drive the physical but it does to some degree for sure so tell tell me about the product itself. So Yoni Bliss, 
Yeah. It's a homeopathic water-based lubricant. So I say you can use it as a lubricant, but you can also use it as a tissue tonic. It's super clean. It's in a, uh, a very soothing base of aloe and seaweed. The seaweed is what gives it some of that slip slide kind of thing. Um, and um, then it's got the couple of remedies. Now I've got citric acid in it because I want it closer to the pH of a woman's vaginal tissue and it does have a couple of preservatives in it because it says water-based. So we don't want mold in our product, but um, True. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's not gonna be as, it's not gonna last as long as um, an oil-based product, but I also think there's issues about putting oil in your vaginal tissues in your yoni don't want to do that necessarily well but, i mean i think um, from a sex point of view my experience and this is personal you know from from a yeah. sex point of view a bomb mm -hmm. or a, a, a product that has oil and cocoa butters and things like that doesn't mm -hmm. work for me as a lubricant my body kind of yeah. sucks it in and it just it it you have to I don't know. It just doesn't work. It, the, the reapplying rate would, is too high. It's great yeah. for the tissues. It works great for the tissues, Absolutely. but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then water-based lubricants for me usually work better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, water-based lubricants, you have to apply more than silicon-based lubricants. But mm -hmm. if you're playing with silicon toys, um, mm -hmm. you should not put a silicon-based lubricant on a silicon toy or it'll start melting the toy. Um, yeah. Not everybody knows that. It's always a good idea to remind people of that. You don't want to mess, melt sure. toys because those are usually the nicest toys too. They're the ones that are made with the sure. medical grade silicone. You don't want to melt it. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're using condoms, of course, you really should, yeah. you should be using water-based lubricants. So from that perspective. Yeah. yeah, so there's all sorts of components to it that are good for all of those reasons. And the remedies themselves, you know, are actually medicinal in a way, you know, so you have the potential, like most water-based lubricants, you're just using them in the moment, and then you continue to use them in the moment. They're not necessarily doing anything for your vaginal tissue. Right. But because there are remedies in this particular product, it actually has a potential, especially if you are energetically needing it or if your body is wanting it it will help actually shift those tissues so that over time sex itself can be less painful and I've had lots of women tell me that after using it you know using it on themselves as a tonic using it with you know through sex and with sex that it actually has a, not only alleviated the pain in the moment but over time less painful and they need less you know, women who are actually in process maybe will need less lubricant over time too. Not to say that lube isn't fun and, <laughs> oh, which, you know, I don't doesn't think matter. Ever, yeah, lube is a good thing. But I noticed because I've I used the product, I've noticed the, um, the texture, the seaweed text, uh, texture from the seaweed, <coughs> I actually love. That's such mm -hmm. a healing bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I agree. take sea buckthorn oil every day, as opposed to Perfect. um, as opposed to omega. <coughs> excuse me, I omega three. That's, I take sea buckthorn oil every day, mm -hmm. 
four capsules mm -hmm. of sea buckthorn oil every day. And that has made, is made a huge difference. And if I miss it, like I was, I ran out and didn't have any for a week. The difference is obvious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know where I notice it the most? Because I do the same thing. I use the liquid, so I just use teaspoons of it or whatever. I love the sea buckthorn too, so I'm totally in agreement. Everybody should go get sea buckthorn oil. I notice it with my eyes, and, yeah. and it's just one of those things. I wear contacts, and when I'm not doing the sea buckthorn, I can't wear my contacts as easily. So um, my eyes are just irritable and dry, and it's like those mucous membranes all of the mucous membranes in our body are affected so we're plugging sea buckthorn <laughs> but that's what it reminded me of and i guess it's because it's the seaweed okay. yeah yeah yes yes exactly exactly yeah i see that i get that mm -hmm. so if it people feels wanna... good doesn't it yes mm -hmm. excellent mm -hmm. so if people want to mm -hmm. find the product and want to find you for classes or sessions where should they mm -hmm. look um, yonislist.com. So it's Y-O-N-I-S-D-L-I-S-S.com. Fabulous. And yeah. It will be on the website. The link will be on the website in the podcast notes. Um, and um, all the details from this session will be there as well. Great. I thank can't you thank so you enough for me. joining me. Yeah. It's really fun. That's great. Brilliant. So um, thanks for joining me this week for the A to Z of sex. Please write in with your questions to Dr. Lori Beth at A to Z of sex.com and do visit both websites, HTTPS colon backslash backslash A T O Z O F S E X.com and HTTPS colon backslash backslash the dash intimacy dash coach.com. To learn how to awaken your authenticity, arouse your sexuality, and ignite your desire. For a free 30-minute discovery session with me, head over to the a to z of sex.com and click the button that says book now. That's https colon backslash backslash atozofsex.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes and or Stitcher and please subscribe. Join me next week when the letter will be Z. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes and make sure you head over to www.atozofsex.com. That's A-T-O-Z-O-F-S-E-X to subscribe to my free newsletter to help you keep your sex life sizzling. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes as we work our way through the sexual alphabet to discover the wide world of sex, sexuality, desire, and intimacy. Knowledge gives you the power to create relationships that bring you satisfaction and joy. Hope to see you next week.